Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version. I am the host, Maria Leonard Olson. I'm a lawyer, podcaster, radio show host, recovery mentor, and author and journalist in the Washington, D.C. area. If you'd like to learn more about me and my work, go to MariaLeonardOlson.com. Today, I have the great pleasure of introducing you to a woman whose path crossed mine at a function by Revel, a group for women over 40 who want to learn things, to become better people, to expand their horizons. And one of my fellow Revelers invited me to her home in Chicago and invited area people to come and learn about my work about reinventing your life after 50, about my book, 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter of Your Life. And this fireball of a woman came in. Margot Weinstein in Chicago is, uh, gosh, I don't know, definitely a compadre on this journey I'm taking. I instantly connected with her. She is a traveler, an intrepid adventurer, a class action lawyer at a major US law firm, a lawyer, a single mom. She was educated at Yale College and Northwestern University School of Law. She became a partner in a multinational law firm, but that did not stop her from traveling to more than 80 countries moving with her young son to Shanghai and Bali and discovering how to combine wanderlust and motherhood. For now, she lives with her son in a high rise in downtown Chicago, anticipating her next move. Jalan Jalan, A Journey of Wanderlust and Motherhood is her first book. Her book is fantastic. It's inspiring, it's beautiful, it's, a battle cry to living your best life and not doing what's expected of you at all moments. She has adventure, she has motherhood, she has has it all. And I am so blessed that I got to meet this woman. She's smart. She's a fantastic lawyer, as I said, in one of the best law firms in the country. And she holds nothing back. She lives the life that I want to live. And on the brink of my journey to another country, I am so inspired by this woman and I want to introduce you to my list, her to my listeners. You can learn more about her at margoweinstein.com. She's also on Facebook at margoweinstein author. You can find all this in the show notes, so don't feel like you have to write it down. And also on Instagram. But at this point, I would like to welcome you, Margo, to becoming your best version. Wow. Thank you, Maria. That was some introduction. Thank you. You're an amazing person. I mean, you walk into the room and I hear your voice and the passion and enthusiasm that comes from being in conversation with you. I had just met this woman and I was intrigued by the first sentence. And then I, uh, we traded books and had this great conversation. So, so let's start with Oh, gosh, I don't even know where to start because there's so much to who you are. All right, Jalan Jalan, how do you, did you start the book? What, what made you decide to write a book about your adventures? I have wanted to write a travel book really as long as I've been traveling, but I never had the time to do it. 
I was always busy. I was busy traveling. I was busy working. I was busy being a mom. And it's ironic, but it was the pandemic and really the shutdown of the world that gave me the time to finally sit down and, and write the book, to write Jalan Jalan. Mm-hmm. And I have a teenage son who went to high school remotely. And starting in the September of 2020, I pulled out all of my old journals and itineraries and photos and bought equipment to transfer, you know, videotapes to formats I could view. And I just, I sat down and, and I wrote. And so it was the shutdown of global travel that gave me the time to write my travel book. Wow. Well, we are better off for that, that happening during the pandemic, a silver lining here, folks, that we got this extraordinary book that's available everywhere. I, if you're interested in travel, definitely get the book, Jalan Jalan. So the name, Jalan Jalan, what does it mean? Jalan Jalan is not known to most Americans, although if you go on Amazon, as people have said, I went on and there's like 20 books. Mm. Yes, Jalan Jalan, it's an Indonesian phrase and it has a lot of meanings, but the meaning that I used it for is that Jalan Jalan can mean a journey and it can mean a literal journey, like you traveled from point A to B or a journey or course or path you've taken in your life. So even though most of my readers are American and they won't be familiar with the term, it was to be the perfect title. And I was worried a publisher would reject it as too foreign, too weird. But once I wrote the introduction, which I didn't do to the end, they're like, yes, it is the perfect title. So Jalan Jalan, this is the story of my travels, but also the path that I've taken through my life. So, you know, authors get attached to their titles. I love my title. Yes, I do. It's lyrical almost. It makes, it made me want to know, what does that mean? It has a deep meaning. I'm sure of it. And I want (laughs) to know. (laughs) So what did your law partner say when you said, well, uh, yes, I'm a single mom and I'm going to be moving to Shanghai and Bali. Like what, what kind of reaction did you encounter? You know, not a very positive one, to tell you the truth. I mean, I had always through my career, and I was with one firm for 24 years. That is a long time Mm -hmm. to work at one place. And throughout my career, I always made time to travel. In fact, that's the travel in the first half of the book. Our trips that I took before my son was born, and I used to take one to two trips a year that were three to four weeks each. Wow. But I, the reason I think no one ever stopped me is as lawyers, you're professionals and we didn't have rules and they just thought no one would ever take vacation. So we didn't actually have a vacation policy other than take what you think is reasonable. Um, some people thought a long weekend was reasonable. I thought a month was reasonable. <laughs> but um I was able to get away with it because I also worked incredibly hard when I wasn't at vacation on vacation. So even taking two months off a year to travel, I was still one of the highest billing lawyers in the firm. So what was management going to say to me? You have to work harder. Mm -hmm. Um, Also with litigation, if you plan far enough in advance, you can carve out time. You know, I had a lot of cases in Texas 
And there's something like a vacation letter. You file a letter with the court, you're going on vacation and no one can plan anything during that period. So although my partners weren't pleased with the vacations I took in part one, they really couldn't or didn't try to stop me. Mm. For part two, when I went to Shanghai, where we moved for six months, I was at a point in my career when I was ready to quit. Um, the firm had changed. I didn't like the people who had taken over in the direction they were going. And they were like, we don't really care what you do, Marco. I mean, it was, uh, we were at that point. Um, and then I did quit when we got back from China. I just couldn't make it work. And I went mm. to a different firm and they weren't happy either when I moved to Bali. So I, I didn't get much support, um, but that didn't really stop me from going. It's not something lawyers tend to do, take vacations and take risks or move abroad. Yay, Margo, you are my champion. You are our champion. Yes, people, you can be an Ivy League educated woman and work in one of the best firms in the country and take a couple months off. We can do these things. Most of us, many of us uh, operate from a place of fear that, oh my gosh, what will happen? Well, if you don't try, you don't know. And, and you know what? I didn't get a lot of support, but really no one stopped me. No one said you can't go. You know, mm -hmm. the firm didn't have a set limit on vacation policy. They did have a billable hour goal. And I always more than exceeded that. And as an equity partner, I bought in plenty of business. So really their choices were to let me do it or to try to fire me. Right. And they didn't. Now you also work on class action lawsuits, which are huge huge they are a beast to litigate so did that prevent you from taking certain trips you wanted to take because you couldn't control the docket no it made it much easier really okay because when you work on a class action lawsuit sometimes you were working with hundreds of lawyers yes i mean i have a pretty strong ego but i never thought that i was irreplaceable someone else can do your work mm. if you go away for four days your work stacks up. If you go away for four weeks, someone else does your work, right? And the only times I took vacations without planning were if a case settled or once we got fired because we refused to do something unethical. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise the trips were always planned in advance. And so I never missed a big hearing or something like that. But working on really big litigation, you have more support at different levels. Um, so I think much easier than if you were working on a small case and it was mm -hmm. one partner and one associate, right. leave, who's gonna do your work? Right. So no, it was the opposite. The big cases made it easier to go. Oh, good point. I had not thought of that. I used to work in a big firm. Now I'm in a small firm. That's a very interesting point. Now I do know that uh, it was on all smooth sailing during these trips. There were some near-death experiences, actually. And um, I wonder, when you went back and looked at your journals in writing this book, did you always stop and think, oh my gosh, I could have died? Did it surprise you? No, I don't know. I'm I just I'm very practical. And there were times <laughs> where I did some things that were really dumb. Um, <laughs> but 
I didn't really focus on that until I started writing the book. Now in choosing the stories that are in the book, obviously you want to put things in that people are going to say, is she crazy? Is that <laughs> you know, you want to be fun. You want to be interesting. You want to be outrageous, but you also, it's nonfiction. I want to tell the truth. Right. So I had to find stories that had some of that outrage craziness, but for which I also had the specificity that I think you need to tell a good story in a believable and interesting way. But I, I guess I just really, when I was taking those trips, what I loved was the contrast between you know, sitting behind my desk with no danger other than like my leg falling asleep mm -hmm. to being out in the wilderness. It was the contrast between my work self and my vacation self that I enjoyed. And I think that's why I push so hard outdoors really well beyond my abilities was to do something different. That's what I liked about those trips. And I think because I worked so hard and so intently, I needed to vacation um, in a way that was as far removed from work as possible. Mm, I, that resonates with me. I love that. And I am on my way to do the same thing. Would, would you share one of the stories that is included in the book? Sure. Is there a particular one or? No, no, just whatever you'd like to share with our audience, something that um, you learned something from. Well, this is a, um, a, a very short part of a story when you talked about risks and what I learned about acting differently. Um, when we were in Burma, um, I chose to go there at a point in time when Osong Sushi was still respected. She had not yet been involved in the slaughter of the Rohingya. She had told tourists not to come and I chose to go to Burma anyway. And it was an amazing experience. But on the way out, um, three friends and I were pulled aside and we were being held in an office. And I could not tell if we were gonna be arrested, if we had done something wrong, what was happening. And this is where I completely turned off my lawyer skills. If I had acted in that room as I would in a courtroom, I probably would have wound up in a Burmese jail. <laughs> and I also knew from having done my research that the US uh, had no consular relations with Burma at that time. So no one would have come to visit me and brought me food and called my parents. But this is, this is not a great travel story, but it's the thing about being different people. We just sat there silently and did not say a word. We did not offer a bribe because we also didn't have any money, <laughs> but I didn't try to argue my way out based on the law or practicalities. Um, I just sat silently and they let us out moments before our plane took off. So I tell that story just as an example of how when you're in a different country and a different culture, you have to adapt and not be, you know, it's really the ugly American or mm -hmm. really the ugly American lawyer and try to assert yourself because that would not have worked. So I guess that wasn't a great travel story, but I was still no about your work questions about yeah. how different you have to be when you travel than you are um, on vacation. I think that's an excellent point. I have traveled, unfortunately, with some ugly Americans and it's embarrassing to me. So 
Why do you think that they, why do you think they stopped you? What was the point? They wanted money. They wanted a bribe. There was no question. They wanted a bribe. Um, and they believed you ultimately that you didn't have the money to pay them? Um, I don't know, but what were they going to do with us, right? The plane was leaving in three minutes. We mm. literally, they let us out and we walked, they walked us to the plane. We got on and it took off and our luggage was on the plane. We got to Bangkok and our bags were there. Mm. They didn't really want to put us in jail. I mean, that was um, everything in Burma was so corrupt. The government was corrupt and basically they everyone bribed their way through the country so i wasn't willing to give a bribe in those circumstances because i didn't want to go to jail and we honestly had no money left we mm. literally had no cash um so where was your son at the time he wasn't born yet i was with i went oh i would not have taken him then that's sort of what comes to part two of the trip the risks that i took in part one um are not things i would have done with a kid. Hmm. Um, I would have acted, I think, very differently. I also don't know that they would have arrested me with a little kid on toe either. I think mm -hmm. they might, authorities might have acted differently. That's probably true. And I am someone who wants to meet your son someday because he <laughs> sounds extraordinary. He seems very easygoing. Can you tell us a bit about how it was to be a mother abroad, and then what it was like for both of you when you came back to the States. Sure, um, my son is very different from me. If he never leaves the country again, I don't know, I would be that surprised. <laughs> but he is, the reason why I was able to do what I did with him is because he is an incredibly flexible, well-adjusted, easygoing kid. Mm -hmm. um, there aren't a lot of children that you could drag around the world. And yes. when we were vacationing, he loved all the adventures we did. And we learned how to balance something for me and something for him. But the kinds of trips you could take with a young child and keep him safe and not risk winding up in a Burmese jail or at the <laughs> bottom of the end Damon Sea, which almost, almost happened to me at the start of that trip weren't things that were interesting enough for me. Mm -hmm. So what we wound up doing was moving abroad to have a very different kind of experience. Um, when we lived in Shanghai, Jake was little. He was in first grade. So he was six turning seven. And at that age, it's really, you know, kids aren't that into their friends. So it was easy to take him and bring him there. Um, he went to the Shanghai American School, which was not great academically. So at the end of that semester, I pulled him out and we just traveled um, for another month. When we moved to Bali, he is just really not a Bali kid. I mm -hmm. loved Bali from the minute I got off the plane. Yes. He did not. Mm -hmm. um, his first days in Bali were horrible. In fact, I have a chapter titled, I Hate It Here. <laughs> oh. He went to a school called Green School. Green is in the environment. It's an international school focused on sustainability and also very um, cognizant of Balinese culture. And the first day of school, they have a big blessing ceremony where the kids all wear the traditional Balinese um, ceremonial dress. And during that ceremony, all, everyone was given a traditional offering 
which contained a piece of burning incense. Jake got poked in the eye by the burning incense stick. Not a good start. Then um, his bedroom, you had to go up an outdoor staircase. About a week later, he came screaming out back into the house. There was a six foot snake on his steps. And about two weeks later, he was in his outdoor shower and he got stung by a scorpion. It wasn't the best start to Bali. But you know what? He's nine years old. I'm the parent. It's not like he could get on a plane and go home. And he did eventually adjust to it. Um, And by the second year, he liked it, but he never really loved Bali like I did. So we came back when I would have liked to stay for at least one more year. And we moved into a high rise apartment. Um, Jake went to a very academically oriented school, which green school was not. And he played sports and he did video games and all kinds of things he couldn't do in Bali. So he's very happy being back in a city, doing city things. And he loves his American high school and would have hated grade school, really would have hated it. So I think well, you just, there's only, there you can make your children do things up to a point, um, but then you have to sort of give and give them a turn. So this is his turn. Well, good for you. You sound like an excellent mother. And I love both parts of the book. And I wonder, I, I love to travel too. It's my favorite thing to do. And you have chosen a couple of places that are not on my top 10 list, like, <laughs> like Pakistan, uh, Zimbabwe, Papua New Guinea. Can you tell us a bit why, how you chose the places you chose? Sure. Um, to tell the truth, most of the time they chose me. For example, the Pakistan trip, I had gone with a company called Mountain Travel Sobek. I had rafted with them in other countries and they were running an exploratory trip um, in Pakistan. And they called me up because I am a good sport. And as a lawyer, I made a good income so I could pay. Mm -hmm. They called me up. Hey, Margo, do you want to come on this trip to Pakistan? I was like, Okay. Um, but remember, this is pre-Taliban. So yeah. it was it was a different time. You mm-hmm. could travel. Now we still, I mean, Pakistan, it, hopefully someday Americans can go there again. It is one of the most spectacularly beautiful countries I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's where they when you talk about Shangri-La, Shangri-La was in that area. It's they say where the continents collide. You have the Himalayas, the Karakoram, and the Hindu Kush. It's a spectacular mm. country. And we didn't go to the South, to Karachi. We were in the North. Um, but I loved, I loved being in Pakistan, but that mm. trip found me. Um, the same thing with Papua New Guinea. They called me up. Hey, Margo. <laughs> <laughs> trip to Papua New Guinea. Um, and what was great about that trip Um, because it was exploratory, no one really knew what was going to happen. And we were paddling and kayaking through the Trobran Islands. And except for Paul Thoreau, you know, in a story he does in his uh, Happy Isles of Oceana, no one else had ever stayed there. So we were, people were excited to see us. It wasn't like, oh, here come the tourists again. It was just an experience that really couldn't have been 
repeated. Mm-hmm. So um, that it wasn't always, I think I was just up for something new and interesting. And especially if it was someplace that wasn't as explored. Um, so yeah, so Pakistan and Papua New Guinea found me. Mm-hmm. Um, Burma, I think I went to Burma because it had just opened up to American tourists, to foreign mm-hmm. tourists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was something new and different. It was the idea, you know, I wasn't a real adventurer. I was a tourist, I was a lawyer, um, but this was an opportunity to go places that were not over-touristed and overdone. Mm. My daughter went to Burma and she loved it. I was a little bit wary, but she loved it. And I have been to Northern India, Srinagar, which was at the foothills of the Himalayas. And I agree with you, it's a stunningly beautiful terrain. I guess I didn't think about the timing of when you went to Pakistan, but you are a badass woman. I'll tell you that I am just so impressed by your travels and let, I guess I'm not going to give away much more of the book because you need to read the book. This is an adventurous woman who is a buttoned up lawyer by day and just an adventure hardcore when she's outside of her lawyer role. And I love it because I, I don't meet a lot of people like that. And I'm hoping you and I can go to Antarctica someday together. That would be great. It's on my list. <laughs> yes, we just have to find the right um, outfit to get us on the boat. (laughs) So I also would encourage all of you to look at her blog. She has some really good articles about her travels. And I was intrigued when looking at it again about vacation in Paris with the toddler. Good luck. There's some practical stuff in here that and beautiful photography. I wanted to ask you about that. The photo for the cover of your book is is stunning. Did you, how did that you get that? That is not my photo. I okay. take no credit. That was my <laughs> book designer. That was my publisher's ah. uh, cover designer. But I described to her what I wanted mm-hmm. and she captured it perfectly. I yes. thank you. I think that, I think the book is beautiful. It is. Um, so thank you very much for saying that. But I take no credit for either shooting or finding that photo. That was, <laughs> that was the cover designer who clearly is very good at her job. All right. So, so a lot of women listen to this podcast and many of them have never been out of the country. What is your top piece of advice for someone who wants to expand their horizons via travel? What would you suggest? And especially if they're a single woman, what do you have any advice that comes to mind? Yeah, I would say go slowly because The way I like to travel, I mean, not everyone can go for six months or two years, but go to one country, not seven. Spend Mm -hmm. a week, get an Airbnb in a community, right, where people live with easy access to all the tourist stuff. But, oh, well, this is my coffee shop because it's the third day in a row I've gone here for breakfast. I think that um, I'm a vegetarian. So I use the Happy Cow app to find restaurants. Mm. And so we were in Budapest, okay, Hungary, not known for its fine vegetarian cuisine. (laughs) And uh, my son's a vegetarian too. And by following Happy Cow, we found these little restaurants where we were the only tourists. And it was more of a community. So I would say find one country. Don't worry if you don't speak the language. 
we're so lucky if English is your language, it's the language of the world. Mm -hmm. Find one country, maybe start for a week in its capital city, which is an easy introduction. Stay in a neighborhood, not in a big downtown hotel. And then maybe take the train. Um, don't drive, driving overseas is very scary. Take the train to a few other places, but really start to fit in. Or if you're not comfortable, do a tour, but do a small tour um, with a focus on what you're interested in, whether that's art or biking or hiking. Um, there are a lot of really good small tours and there are women only tours if that mm. interests you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Those are excellent tips. Thank you, Margo. And so the question that we, I ask all guests is, what do you do, Margo, to become your best version? Well, that is an easy answer and you should be able to guess it. I travel. Mm. Uh, I travel because it takes me out of myself and my world and through new experiences and cultures and people, I think it enriches my life, which makes me a better person, especially when I, you realize that other people in other countries live and act and think and do differently than you. It, it really makes you the best version of yourself because you're broader and more open-minded. So travel, that's my thing, take a trip. Brava, thank you. And again, I, I would encourage all of you, it, you can be transported, Some I can be transported by reading excellent travel books. And this is more than a travel book, but it contains some really cool descriptions of travel. Jalan Jalan by Margot Weinstein. And you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Any independent bookstore can order this book. So do yourself a favor and get this book. Thank you, Margot, for being on the show. Thank you, Maria. It was very fun.